Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. But today, we celebrate something else as well. He is risen. <laughs> he is risen, church. <laughs> I haven't been able to wipe this goofy grin off my face all morning. I woke up with it at 4.30. I woke up and I was refining my notes. That's what I, it's my normal practice. And I was just biting my tongue for my family's sake. They're up there. Um, because I wanted to just sing and shout and dance. And I had this giddiness in me. It was so distracting trying to refine my notes. Uh, because I just thought about what does this mean for me? And today we're going to talk about what it means for all of us. Uh, and that's really what I want to focus on. But what does this mean for me? I just thought this is the best deal I have ever heard of. It's almost too good to be true. Because I look at my own inadequacies, I look at my own failures, I look at my history of failure. I look at how many bad ideas I've had over the years. It seems like I have a lot of them. Um, and then, you know, hopefully I, I can stir up some fun here and there. But, uh, but there's, a lot of, there's a lot of inadequacy. And usually we try to get over that. But what I love is Jesus called me just as I am, and he continues to do it. And it's, you know, I come to him the way I am. I come to him with all my brokenness and my baggage. We all have baggage. And I lay it down at his feet, and he makes this deal with us. He says, I'll forgive you your sins, and, and it gets better, if you let me bear fruit in your life, I will reward you for it for eternity as well. Get your mind around that. How does that work? We get forgiveness of sins, and we get rewarded, and all of it is what he does in us. Come on! <laughs> oh. Okay, all right. Easter is Resurrection Day, and it is our most celebrated uh, Christian day of the calendar year. It is. Uh, it should mean the most to all of us when you really sit there and meditate on it. We just focused on a lot of that on uh, Good Friday. If you didn't get the Good Friday Prayer Summit, you can catch up if you want to, if you were there. Wasn't that amazing? Wasn't it good? A time of worship and word and a prayer, seeking the Lord together was so good. So... Some of this we're going to go through again because it's very important. This message, Jesus said in John, he said, because I live, you also will live. The resurrection is our guarantee. Well, the spirit is our guarantee, but the resurrection and then the subsequent spirit was our guarantee of the promise that he will return and what he's going to do. So it's very exciting. But, you know, earlier in the year, in, in fact or fiction, we kind of went through the logical and rational reasons on why we can believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, but today we're going to look more at the why and the what. Like, why does this matter to me today? Because I think sometimes, you know, you, you know, Christians celebrate, you see the cross, you see Jesus on there. We're almost so used to it, we become numb to it. But then at another point, if you're not numb to it, but you kind of think about it, you're like, what exactly was going on there and was it really necessary? Why the cross? Well, that's what we're going to look at today is, is the why and the what. What does this mean to me today in 2022? As a believer, as a non-believer, as a backsliding believer, as an on-fire-for-Jesus believer, what does this mean to me today? All right. <sighs> the problem, evil, death, pain, and brokenness. Okay, so first off, I just want to quickly define sin here because we've talked about this before. Sin's not even on there, but uh, that's in, kind of incorporated in that. Christians, we talk about sin all the time. And sin is failing to miss, it's, it's missing the mark. It's failing to live up to the glory of God. So when the target is, right, that we 
live in a way that, that reflects the, the glory of God on the earth, when we miss the mark, we call that sin. So when you look at God's laws, all of his different laws, Jesus said they can all be summed up in love. So we know that reflecting God's love on the earth is basically what it means to live righteously, and failure to do that is what we call sin. So that is the problem, because we're called there, but there is a problem. There's evil, there's sin, lack of love, there's death, there's pain, there's brokenness in uh, the world, right? So think about right now the corruption that is in the world even right now. Think about the war in Ukraine, between Ukraine and Russia. I'm not encouraging you to read the news if, if you don't want to, but some of the things I read in the last week made me weep before the Lord. I just couldn't believe it. The things that kids are experiencing and spouses and families. Sometimes you, you read stuff like that and you wonder how you can ever complain about anything, but, but it's not about that. That's not what we're talking about today, but that is awful, the atrocities that are happening there, whether it's through deception or wickedness or rape or murder or war. It is brokenness. It's evil at its highest level. But our world is infected this way, isn't it? Remember what happened during this last year with COVID and then there was George Floyd. He got, he got kneeled in the throat and slowly choked out and, de- and, and killed in onlookers. You remember the rage that that started because it brought up all of these feelings of historical racism. You see, that's brokenness in the world. And what about all of, the, all of the news on residential schools? How can your heart not break when you hear of little bodies, small bodies buried in the ground, hidden there, that were mistreated till their final breath? And then there's other things as well, right? What about um, things that people, you know, suffer? I mean, you think about starvation. What about that one right there? I looked it up, 9 million people. Nine million, I had to double check that. Nine million people die every year of hunger and hunger-related diseases. This is more than from AIDS, malaria, tuberculosis combined. This is the brokenness that has infected our world. This is the problem. This is the problem, but there's more. What about death and sickness and loss? Uh, This morning, we were doing the pre-service prayer here. And Karis asked what I wanted prayer for. By the way, that's a great plug. If you want to come early and pray and worship together beforehand, come at 8.30. It's awesome. But they asked what I want prayer for. What did I want prayer for? My back. It's very tight. And I know standing here and preaching two services is going to make it even more tight. So I was praying that it doesn't spasm or seize while I'm up here. So they're praying, right? I got out of bed and I'm like, roll out of bed excited. I'm like, oh, limp in anticipation for Easter to the table. You know how it is? I mean, that's, that's small stuff. Some of you are dealing with things that are far bigger than that. What about things like MS or Huntington's or Parkinson's? What about cancer? What about death itself? You lost a loved one? And the pain that that leaves inside. I mean, death itself is awful, but the, the loss that we feel inside, and it's not just loss we feel then we're, we're, we go through grief, we go through anger, we go through guilt. Then sometimes we're even angry at the person who's, who's died because they've left us, that we feel abandoned, and then we feel shame for, for ever being upset at someone for leaving us. It's not their fault. And we're, you can see there's this just turmoil of hurt and pain, and it just doesn't seem right. Inside, we know. We long for something different. We know it's not right. 
But there's a brokenness in the world that we live in, and none of us escape it. What about things like abuse or rejection, loneliness, abandonment, shame, and humiliation? Now, hopefully, hopefully you don't experience abuse, but a high percentage of people and a growing number experience abuse. But rejection, loneliness, abandonment, shame, humiliation, these again are things, these are human, part of the human condition. We all feel them, and these are the things that create all sorts of pain within us. I mean, you look at these ones, we would call them attachment pain. These are the types of pain that drive people to suicide, that drive people to addictions, that can drive someone into furthering mental health, into anxiety and depression and despair. That is suffocating. Remember years ago, um, years ago I was, uh, this is, I was in grade 10? I don't actually know, maybe grade 11. Anyhow, I was in the smoking section. Not a good place to be, but that's where I was. We had that. I don't even know if they have that anymore. Not important. So I'm in there, not fitting in, right? And that's probably why I liked the smoking section. It gave you something to fit in, but it's not a good thing to fit on kids. But I'm there, and I had this Discman. That dates me a little bit, right? But I had a Discman. It's where you play CDs in. Those are things that we used to have music on. Uh, and my Discman, I put it down beside me, and I was sitting there. And I'm, I'm, you know, doing my thing out there. And suddenly I look down and my Discman's gone. I'm like, where's my Discman? I don't have a lot of money at this time. I'm working at McDonald's. And that would be like, I mean, that's a horrible thought for me to lose my Discman. I'm looking for it everywhere. Where is this thing? I know I, I for sure had it. You, you know what that's like? I for sure know it was beside me. I put it there. Right? So you're a bit panicked. You're looking around. And suddenly my eyes catch. There's this cool crowd that's sitting over there. And they're kind of standing, well, sitting, standing in a circle over there. And I catch one of the guys, one of the <laughs> ringleaders. He's not a ringleader. He's not even a bad guy. But at the time, that's how I saw him. And I see he's holding. I see the white with the orange strap. I can see he's holding my discman. And right away, it's just the fear grips my heart. Like you're new in school. These are the grade 12s. These are the cool kids. How, like, what am I supposed to do? And you're weighing your options. Am I going to just abandon this, work for more, like, you know, save up my hundred bucks again and buy another Discman and just leave it, pretend like it never happened? Or do I go over there and I say, hey, that's, that's mine. And I chose to work up my courage and walk over there and say, hey, um, that's my Discman. And when they looked at me, they said, no, it's not. It's my Discman. And they're all kind of laughing at me. And immediately, you know that feeling of feeling singled out? It's kind of like everything zooms in and then zooms out and you shrink. You become the smallest thing in the world, but also the most like visible thing in the world all at the same time. It's a weird feeling. It's conflicted. And I can feel my cheeks going red with embarrassment, with humiliation. And I'm angry and I'm upset. I feel, I feel alone. I feel powerless. And I'm like, no, that, that's, that's my, my discman. It's, it's mine. I know it's mine. And he saw that I had, we wore chain wallets back then, chains on a wallet. I know, hard thing to imagine. And they could see I had my wallet on me, and he said, well, I see you got your wallet on there. What do you have in there? I'm like, nothing. Let me see. So I opened it up, and I did have something in there. I had 40 bucks. And he said, well, you can uh, buy it off me. You can buy my disc, and I'll sell it to you for 40 bucks. And we went back and forth and I tried to negotiate a better deal and I tried to negotiate not paying for my own property back that he took. 
But I stood there in humiliation. Finally, I just wanted it to end, so I paid $40 to get my Discman back. I left humiliated, ashamed, feeling rejected, feeling so much injustice inside. And I know what I was feeling there is probably this big in comparison to some of the pain that you've gone through. And I understand that. This is also part of the problem with the world, though, isn't it? Not just what happened to me, but that brokenness inside of me, that insecurity that it was, right? It was touching on something. It was touching on brokenness in me, and that's why it was so isolating and painful and shameful. What about mental health issues, anxiety, depression, bipolar? I couldn't put them all up. There's schizophrenia, addiction. A lot of addiction comes out of that. With self-medicating. The numbers on, on anxiety, especially now through the last two years, are skyrocketing. Actually, the numbers on anxiety since the introduction of the iPhone has also skyrocketed. It's quite a fascinating stat. But this is a, this is a pandemic in our world. There is brokenness. You know, the Lord created us to have this rhythm of rest and work and rest and work, and we're supposed to be able to experience peace, and many people are going through life for years and longer, maybe sometimes right to the grave, never even touching it, not even knowing what it would be like. It's almost like a foreign language when they read the word peace. All they know is that flood of cortisol and the the increased heartbeat and the racing thoughts and the never being able to catch up and the never being able to catch up or the emotional emptiness and not having energy to get out of bed. Anxiety has been something I've struggled with for years. It's been a lot better the last two years. Actually, when the pandemic hit, my anxiety seemed to go down. It's like as the whole world went, eh. It was almost like, hey, now we're all in this together. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny how that works, eh? But you ever had it where, and I have felt this. I know some of you have. Maybe you just haven't put words to it. But fear of failure, right? I mean, have you ever felt the fear of failure? Like you just never can get anything right? And that drives lots of, lots of dysfunctional behavior. It totally does. Well, I've had it, and I've, I know this feeling, where sometimes you get so, like, beat down. You feel so beat down. You just can't get anything right. You're feeling this weight on you that the only option in you is, wait, I know one thing that I can get right. Failure. So you sabotage relationships or opportunities. Sometimes hurting those you love. Because then you could at least get something right. Friends, you relate to this at all? Some of you don't, some of you do. Yeah. The problem, there's a problem in our world. It's infected us. You know what? Man has done this much to solve these problems. They're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. They haven't ended. Technology didn't change it. Work rhythms didn't change it. Laws haven't changed it. We need social reform. We need financial reform. And I'm not against those things. (laughs) I am actually for them. (laughs) And good government. I'm also for that too. But maybe if we had a different leader in charge, some say socialism, some even go and say communism, would make it all better. Really. See, mankind has tried everything under the sun to make it better, and yet evil and sin are still here. 
Abuse continues to cycle and perpetuate. Inadequacy and fear and greed and envy, they still plague the human heart. We still struggle with lack of love. We still have anxiety. We still have war. That's one of the responses I heard from one Ukrainian woman. She said, how in the 21st century, like how in 2022 are we at war? Like, shouldn't we be able to, to, to work out our differences in a democratic way? Or in a diplomatic way, I should say. Abuse prevails, sickness and death prevail, broken relationships, war remains, death remains. Look at the scriptures say. That creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. That's what I just described. We can see it in the world. It's broken. Something is wrong. The root of the problem, though, isn't political. It's not environmental. It's not financial. It's sin. It's human. It's people. And we can't fix this problem on our own. Sin has infected us. It's infected mankind. Genesis 6, 5 says, uh, for the, whoop, that's not right. I got this up. It's okay. 6, 5 was the Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race was, was and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only to evil all the time. And you might say, yeah, but I've never murdered or raped anyone. But lack of love. Remember, sin is the lack of love, right? The lack of love, failure to reflect God's glory on the earth. How many of us, though, have made self-centered decisions, have lied, have rejected someone, have said something unkind, abused someone? Maybe you have. Maybe you fought, quarreled, stolen. All of these things, self-serving behaviors. God created us not because he needed us. He wanted us. He wanted us to share in his love. And for us to be able to love him, right, as he did us. He wanted a relationship with us. And that's where this one comes in. Loving someone cannot be forced. So, he wanted a relationship. Love can't be forced. You have to have choice. And so to give us a legit, and it has to be a legitimate choice. Does that make sense? Like my, my wife chooses me despite all my failures. And there have been many. When the apostle Paul says, I'm the worst of all the apostles. Well, I'm not an apostle, but I can relate to that sentiment of not understanding how God could ever have saved someone like me. I get that. My wife could get that. I'm thankful she didn't say amen. <laughs> that was kind, hun. <laughs> but despite all my failures, and they've been many, past and present, I get things wrong all the time. I was just, yeah, we, were, we were texting this morning, but I just said three times this week alone, I have gotten tone wrong, misinterpreted communication, and totally had a bad response. And yet, despite those things, she still chooses me. That is a wonderful feeling. But I wouldn't be able to enjoy that and be able to experience that if she had to be with me. Does that make sense? If she didn't have a choice, if I, you know, if she was coerced or made to be with me, that wouldn't be love. It might look like a relationship from the outside, but it wouldn't be. It would be dysfunctional. Right? In the same way, you know, this morning when I, I, our morning routine most of the time, like 99% of the time, is I make her coffee. Sometimes she makes it for me. But 
Most of the time, I make it for her. Why? I want to make it for her. Why do I do that? Because she loves getting coffee in bed to wake up. And because she loves it, I love it. But right before I pour the coffee, because she's not even there yet, I wake up first and get everything ready. But I always, and I've said this here before, I pour her the first cup out of the pot. She doesn't care that I do that. Why would she care? I mean, what is the difference between the first cup and the second cup in the same pot? I don't think there is any. I'll tell you what's the difference. She gets the first of me. She gets the first. It's my choice. I love her. And I love it when she gets the first. I love opening a door and letting her go in first. Why? Because I choose her too. I choose her. Anyways, that's love. God wanted that with us. He didn't need us. He wanted us. He wanted you. He wanted me. He loves us. But in order for us to love him in return, we had to have choice. And when there's choice, there's the opportunity for a blissful, wonderful relationship. But you also have to have a real choice. And if we can choose to love him, we can also choose to reject him. And that's where the problem came into the world. So the wages of sin, Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's move on now to the solution. Sometimes people wonder, was it necessary for Jesus to die? Couldn't God just have forgiven us? He could have, yeah, I think so. Uh, how about we imagine something, though? Because, you know, sometimes we say, well, forgive and forget, right? Have you ever heard that? Forgive and forget? So suppose you go home today and hopefully, Lord willing, this happens to none of you. But suppose you go home today and your door is open. And you wonder, that's weird, door open on a Sunday? I can't believe I left the front door open. We don't even go through that door. But as you look closer, you can see the door jam's broken. Looks like somebody forcefully entered. And you go inside your home and there's stuff strewn about and your valuables are missing. You've been robbed. Break and enter. Horrible, right? I've had bikes stolen out of our garage and it's, a, it's terrible because I, was, I lived a life of crime before and it was a good opening, eye-opening moment of how it feels to be violated. It felt violating. To have someone go into your home and take what belongs to you, it felt violating. Now imagine the police called you and said, we caught the guy. You'd be probably pretty pumped, right? Angry, excited, right? You'd want restitution. You hope to get your stuff back. You hope that he pays for what happened. There better be some kind of consequence. Now imagine the officer said, we got the guy, but uh, just so you know, he said he was sorry, so we let him go. <laughs> you see, when someone else asks for forgiveness, I mean, when it's on their yard, then it's easy to say forgive and forget, right? If we're the ones needing forgiveness, forgive and forget sounds mighty tempting. But when we're the ones that have to forgive and forget... We say, wait a minute, that doesn't feel right. Justice requires something. Justice demands something. You can't have justice without accountability and consequence. That's absolutely important for us to understand. You cannot have justice without accountability and consequence. They work together. You need it. And we know that. Innately, we know that. Think about what's going on with, you know, you think of the war with Russia and Ukraine. I mean, that's like the biggest thing when people bring it up. I wonder, like, what's going to happen? Like, what's going to happen? Is someone going to stand up to Russia? Like, what's going to happen if these war crimes, are they going to hold them accountable? Because we know that something needs to happen. It just wouldn't be right to let it slide. 
Or when you hear of more things with residential schools and something burns inside and you feel the injustice and you say, we need change. Someone needs to be held accountable. We feel that on the inside. We know it. Well, that's exactly what we're talking about here. So Jesus died. He became our substitute. So now imagine we're standing before the, uh, um, we're standing before a judge, right? That's the, that's the word I'm going to use. Yep. So we're standing before a judge. We have all sinned. The wages of our sin is death, right? So we've all sinned. We've all committed a crime. We've all done something wrong. We're standing there. You're standing here. Judge is there, right? Jury's over here. And they come back and the verdict is guilty. And now they're going to get to the sentencing part. And the sentencing is the wages of your sin is death, like you guys just said. So essentially what Jesus did for us, because justice demands accountability and consequence. We know that. Innately we know it. Jesus, the judge, took off his judge robes, got around from where he was seated. He came down to our level, put on our prison garments. And he went and took our punishment for us. He understood that the consequence had to happen. There had to be, the debt had to be paid. So he he chose to pay it for us. Now the question would be, why would he do that? Well, simply, he longed to have relationship with us. And like the song we sang earlier sang, our sins separated us from him. Our wrongdoings, our crime that we've all committed, separated us from a holy God. So in order to reconcile us to him, he chose to pay our debt for us. And that's, now, remember before we talked about rejection, there was death in all sorts of ways. We have the wrongdoing that we can recognize, but also anxiety and despair and shame and humiliation and all of those things that we feel that are also a part of the death and brokenness in the world. Well, Jesus felt all of those things for us too. Look what it says here in Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way we are, yet remained without sin. So then he beckons us, let us then approach the throne to find the grace that we need in our time of need. And I think all of us are in a time of need. We all have need. And now he calls us. He said, I've paid your debt. I've wiped the slate clean. If you will come, he'll give you the grace that you need. That brings us now to the Easter story. Easter. Let's look at what he suffered. And uh, we're going to go through just the passion of the Christ now, because this is what he suffered for me and you. He didn't just write a check, right? It wasn't normal just restitution like a financial fraud. The wages of our sin was death. He actually had to take death into his body to carry death in in, in his body for us to have freedom. So day one, we have last Sunday, Lauren brought us through uh, Palm Sunday, right? And then we celebrated his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And everyone's yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? They're ready to take Jesus by force and make him the king. What a stark contrast that was from Sunday to Friday. So Sunday, everyone's for him, but Jesus, knowing going through the riding on a donkey, he will have already known what's coming his way. He knew. He knew. They didn't know yet, but he knew what was coming. Day two, Jesus goes into the temple and he finds, what are they doing? His temple, he says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And what are they doing? They've turned it into a den of robbers. 
And so we see Jesus in anger. Why is he angry there? I mean, he's angry because they're turning into a den of robbers. If you go a little further to the fig tree, you, you get a, another clue of what he was so upset about. The priest, the temple was supposed to be, those were his ministers. They were supposed to be ministering truth to broken people. They were supposed to be leading the charge, showing people what God was like. But they were the very ones keeping people from entering the kingdom of heaven. And that's why he was so angry. Then we go day three, he's going to the Mount of Olives. And then we have uh, Holy Wednesday, day four. We don't really have much written on that day. (laughs) But then you go to day five and it's Passover. And that's where we're going to pick up Matthew 26. You can read along if you want. Or you can just listen. I don't have it on the screen. There we have it. Yeah. Lord's Supper. So it's Passover on the Friday. It's Passover there. Or Thursday, I should say. And Jesus is eager to share a final meal with his friends. So that Passover feast then that they were going to have there is now what we call in, in our Christian faith, we call that the Last Supper. That's what we commemorate with the communion, which we'll take at the end. All right, so starting here, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and he said, take this and eat. This is my body. He's giving them bread. He gives his friends bread. And he says, eat this. This is my body given to you. And then he took a cup when he had given thanks, a cup of wine. And he says, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So he's already telling them what's about to happen. They don't fully get it yet. But he's telling them what's about to happen. And he's sharing that last meal with his friends. And he's also starting what would be communion, which Christians would hold till the day he comes back when we have an actual feast with Jesus in heaven. Oh, I'm going to get distracted. And I cannot wait for that. Now we go to Jesus foretells Peter's denial. And when they had sung a hymn, I love that they were singing together. They went to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away from me because of this uh, this very night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I love Peter. That's how I am. (laughs) Lord, I will serve you always until the next time I don't. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Oh, I'm glad that the Lord sets the bar really low. Mustard seed faith. Right? Repent, turn back to him, try again. He's very gracious that way. He's kind. The, The most kind and the most gentle and compassionate loving person I've ever encountered. I am enamored by the person of Jesus Christ. And why he continues to beckon me in as I am, I don't understand it. Back to this, back to Peter. Jesus says, truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. I want you to think about what Jesus is getting into. So he's going uh, for the Mount of Olives. Now he's about to go to Gethsemane. He's talking to Peter and he's just told them, all of you are going to fall away from me this night. Jesus already knows. Remember I talked about the rejection we can feel and the loneliness and abandonment? I want you to enter into the story. I want you to enter in. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that feels what you felt going through this. He's seeing his best friends who he's poured his whole life into and he knows they're going to deny him and they're going to leave him. They're going to abandon him. Peter says, after Jesus said he's going to deny him three times, even if I must die with you, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same. And we know at the end, there was only John, Mary, and his mother that were by the cross. Only three. And only one from this group. 
Jesus prays in Gethsemane. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And talking with him, Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death, remain here and watch with me. I'm going to put the Luke version right up there because it's not in the Matthew one, but Luke records this piece of it that's not in Matthew. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. Anxiety, despair, overwhelm, stress, whatever you want to call it. Jesus has felt that. He knows what it feels like. He felt it here. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, what a, what a response to this kind of overwhelm and anxiety and the pressure that he's feeling. And what does he do? He goes a little further, falls on his face and prays, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Here we see glimpses again and again of Jesus' humanity. He came down and became just like us. He's human, just like us, but he didn't sin, unlike us. And he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And, in Peter, and he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? Now listen here in verse 41. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Remember, he's told Peter, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter says, far be it from me, Lord, I would never do that. Now Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane asking Peter to pray. Wouldn't you want your friends to pray for you if you were going to go through something like this? Or just put your own, fill in the blank on what's your struggle in mountain that you're facing? Do you want people praying for you? And Jesus comes back and they're sleeping and you think the first thing you do to your friends, you'd be like, guys, come on, I've been all, I, I'm always there for you. Can't you be there for me? And yet even here, Jesus is ministering to his friend, Peter. And he's saying, Peter, I'm giving you the way out. I told you you're going to deny me because I know what's going to happen. I am God. But watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Your spirit is willing. I see it. Your flesh is weak. Even in this dark hour, Jesus is caring for and working for and discipling his friends. Again, the second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, let your will be done. And again, he went to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Now we'll go further. And then while he's still speaking, Judas came out. Another one of his friends, Judas comes out, another one of his friends, one of the 12, and with him was a great crowd with swords and clubs and the chief priests and elders of the people. Judas had betrayed him. So his friends couldn't stay awake with him. Judas had betrayed him. Are you seeing the humanity? Are you seeing the death and the suffering and the pain that Jesus allowed himself to feel? And it's only just beginning here. We're now heading into day six, the trial, crucifixion, death, and burial on Good Friday. After a mock trial, we're going to go to a mock trial. It was terrible, the things that were said. Falsely accused. Have you ever been falsely accused? You ever been told you're lying when you're not? Doesn't that sting? And yet here is Jesus, falsely accused, delivered over to be crucified. Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, and the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and arrayed him in purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out against him and said, See, I'm bringing him out to you, that you may find, know that I find no guilt in him. 
So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns. Even Pilate saw he had no guilt. And what are they doing? Pushing the thorns into his head and beating him, flogging him, which would have been horrific according to the Roman history. Knowing that he was innocent, they still did this to him, making a mockery of him being a king. And he brings them out and says they can't find guilt. And what do the chief priests and officers do when they see him? They yell, crucify him, crucify him. It wasn't enough to see him humiliated, to see him tortured, to see him beaten, to have him being betrayed by his friends. They wanted him dead. Their jealousy drew them to want to kill him. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him with two, uh, two others, one on one side and, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross and it read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. When the soldiers had crucified him, they took his garments into four parts and one part for each soldier. But the tunic was seamless. Let us not tear it, they said, but cast lots for it to see what shall be. And this fulfilled the prophecy. <laughs> they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, John, standing by, he said to another, said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Can you just imagine that? And then he said to his disciple, Behold your mother. This is one of the final things Jesus is doing. He's gone through all the humiliation. He's gone through the anxiety. He's gone through the false accusation, being lied about, being mocked, being spit on, stripped naked, the son of God, tortured, abused, nails put through his hands. And one of the final things he says is he looks to his friend and he says, take care of my mother. Even at his absolute worst, there is nothing but love and selflessness pouring out of the person of Jesus Christ. Think about what pours out of you. I shudder when I think about what pours out of me when I'm tired or anxious or stressed. People see me at my worst when I'm at my worst. Jesus at his worst continued to be, as always, at his best. After this, Jesus, knowing all that now had finished, he said, I thirst. He was given sour wine and vinegar. And then when Jesus received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now we move to the resurrection. Here we go. I like reading from my actual Bible. It's just so nice. There's so many good memories and feelings tied to this book. It's my Bible that I have at home. It's a good idea for my wife to not use that little one here. Good idea. 28, the resurrection. Matthew 28. Now after the Sabbath... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like the lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for the fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has... Risen! <laughs> I'm getting excited. 
Uh, as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. Jesus endured all of that for us. I think it's pretty incredible. Now, I, I know the, you know, we talk about what did he pay for? Like, what did he endure, right? So he paid the price so that we can have no more pain, death, sin, tears, loss, loneliness, anxiety, fear, addictions, depression, fighting, wars, racism, poverty, brokenness, starvation, broken homes, abuse, and more. I know some of you might be sitting in here thinking, but aren't those things still here? You're right. They are. They are still here. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness. He is patient and kind towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He is waiting for that moment in time. He is working for that moment in time when the absolute most people will say yes to him, and then he will come back in his first coming. Jesus conquered death. He conquered sin. He made a way. That was the first coming. But he didn't do away with it yet. He made a way and then he left giving us his spirit to help us find him and work towards him and tell others about him. But Jesus didn't stay in a grave and he's not staying in heaven. He's coming back a second time. And when he comes back a second time, he will judge the living and the dead. And he will once and for all get rid of all of those things that I talked about that have infected the world with sin, death, and decay. So I'm going to end with this and we're going to do communion and then we're going to worship the invitation. The invitation. Because if you confess or speak, right? Speak, agree with, with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe, faith, put your trust in. In your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. By that, you will be saved from your sin. You will have eternal life, forgiveness for every wrong you've done, healing for every hurt, purpose, joy, and more. But this offer, remember, you have to have choice. To have love, you have to have choice. And so though he paid the price for all of this to be gone for each one of us, each of us has a choice to make. Well, we look at the sacrifice of the Christ and what he did for us, the great love that he has and in love respond and say, yes, I received that gift by faith. I know I'm not worthy, but I want it more than anything else in my life. Or will we harden our hearts like so many have before us and say, I'm not willing to follow you. That's the choice we get to make. Today, I want to pray with you, but maybe you're here and you've received that gift, but you're backsliding or you feel like you have been for a long time. You've lost that hope, that joy, that fire in your heart burning for him. I would encourage you, maybe you feel like you've rejected Jesus. You've turned on him. You've betrayed him like Peter or like Judas. To you, I'd say, then respond like Peter, not Judas. Repentance is one of the most beautiful acts of worship that a servant can give to his king. So pray with me now. Lord Jesus, we recognize, I recognize, that we're not worthy of the gift that you have, that you have given to us. We recognize that, that we didn't deserve you coming down from the judge's seat, putting on the prison clothes and paying our debt. We didn't deserve it. But you did it anyways. You said we were worth it. And so today, Lord, it is with 
humility and love and great gratitude that we declare, Lord, that we believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we choose to put our faith and our trust in you. We accept you, Lord, as our Savior, our Savior from our sins, but also as our Lord and our King. You are our King, and it is with joy that we surrender our lives over to you. Now today, Lord, I ask for those that have prayed that the first time, that you would fill them with your Spirit, that you would give them courage to go and share it with someone so that they can get, a, get into a group or a process for discipleship. But Lord, for those that are sitting here and that feel like they've been failing and failing and failing and they're not worthy, that have just prayed this prayer again, would you fill them anew with your Spirit and remind them that it was never about how good we are. It's always been about how good you are. So we thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our lives. In your name, amen.